Jacob's watching. Hey, Jacob. Hey, everybody. It's your Total Bases podcast on this glorious Sunday morning for some baseball and brunch. Um, as uh, we're in deep into September baseball, well, not really. It's the first week of September baseball, but September baseball nonetheless, as it has come rather quickly this year for obvious reasons. And with me is my co-host, Sean Flannery. How you doing, Sean? Uh, I am great. Happy to be back for yet another episode of the Total Basis Podcast. Had a lot go on this last week. You know, playoffs started. I know last time we talked, we were uh, – I was kind of having a freak out about fantasy playoffs starting. And the real-life playoffs are right around the corner. You know, we have teams that if the season ended today, that would be under 500 making the playoffs. So, it's still anybody's game. Uh, fantasy playoffs are tighter than ever, as always. So, stress levels are moderately high. Yeah. And, uh, well, we'll get to that in a little bit. But we do have a special guest with us. It is the Football Life Presents, the Audible host over at Football Life, Matt Bushnell. Matt, how are you doing this morning? Doing good, Felipe. It is quite the mouthful to spit that thing out. I don't know how Randy Hammond does it, but... We rely on him as the wordsmith, but how are you gentlemen doing this morning? I am honored to talk some fantasy baseball with you gentlemen. I'm doing okay. Um, baby woke me up at 4 o'clock in the morning, like I told you guys earlier. Woke me up at 4 a.m., and I'm actually glad that she woke me up because I don't know if I would have been able to wake up even with my alarm clock. So <laughs> the benefits of having a baby in the house is you get to wake up sooner rather than later. Hello? Yeah, you're good. You're good. You haven't frozen. Oh, I thought I froze. Like you guys No, no, no. You're good. You're good. I was waiting for Sean to tell us how he was doing this morning. <laughs> oh, I said I was doing great. Oh, okay. I thought I thought you were going to continue on the baby spiel. Oh, no, no. I'm done. I'm done. Uh, actually, let's uh, from babies, we talked about football because this is the football life uh, presents the audible <laughs> as, uh, as I'm still trying to. Uh, but, uh, you know, he uh, Bushnell and Randy Hammond were talking about fantasy football. Uh, interestingly interestingly enough um which all, i'm not doing any fantasy football this year as i'm still on a long-term hiatus from the sport as it just kind of angers me to think about it but when they were talking about it on tuesday night i was like you know what sign me up i'm ready to go right now but then you know i'm like you know i haven't done any research i haven't i haven't uh paid attention to anything unfortunately and my question to matt is aside from the bears Give me an AFC team and an NFC team that are flying under the radar that you expect big things coming up for, for this upcoming season. I love the Broncos in the AFC. I think offensively, there are some playmakers on that offense. They're going to get you, not, not even from a fantasy perspective-wise, but an offensive-wise. The defenses aren't that great, especially with the injury to Derwin James with the Chargers. So guys like Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, I'm really high on both that wide receiver duel. And I really like Drew Locke as a sneaky quarterback that you can get. If you let all of the top guys go, like the Russell Wilsons, the Mahomes, um, Lamar Jackson's and isn't in a league of his own, but Drew Locke's not a bad target. At NFC, this one may surprise even me when I take a look at it. And the more I look at this team, the more I'm just like, man, I don't get it. But I really like the Eagles. I know everyone's riding the Cowboys with all the offensive weapons they have. But there's something about that Eagles offense that I think is going to surprise a lot of people. So I'm, I'm pretty high on the Eagles. 
You mentioned Jerry Judy, so I just had to give a shout out. I'm, I'm, I'm living in Tuscaloosa now. I had a brother graduate from UA. Jerry Judy is an absolute monster. I mean, some of the receivers that Alabama's put out the last few years, it's like it speaks for themselves. Like, he's going to be a stud. Oh, especially with that offense, <laughs> when you pair him with Cortland Sutton, who you have to double team. I mean, they have no offense. And I'm not the hugest supporter of Noah Fent because I thought last season he disappeared at times and really let some fantasy owners down. But I think when you have sudden drawing the safety over the top along with the corner, I think that's going to open up things for Jerry Judy to have a huge rookie year and Noah Fent to even have a decent year, even though I think he's a little bit overhyped. That's interesting. I always look forward to some Broncos football. And that's the reason I ask because, you know, I, as much as I haven't been paying attention to his football uh, training camps, I didn't realize there were no preseason games, right? There's no preseason games either. Uh, I haven't, you know, gotten that sense that there are. Is there? Nope. I don't know. No, there isn't. And I know the big hubbub in football life the past two days was the Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky situation where the Bears named Trubisky the starter. I would almost guarantee you if there were preseason games, Mitchell Trubisky would not be the Bears starter week one. Yeah, because yeah, that's the thing. Okay, so I'm not I'm not that away from like actual events occurring. There are no preseason games. It's all training camp, uh, and, and like I said, I'm not hyped about it. But the closer it gets to football season, like the, that kickoff start, the more I envision myself on Sunday mornings. Well, aside from doing this podcast with Sean, uh, turning around and turning on the TV and watching some Bears football. So I am excited for that um, for this upcoming season as well. Uh, Matt, we brought you in to talk some fantasy baseball, unfortunately. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, I mean, your, your primary expertise, this is maybe your secondary area, area of expertise here, not to sell you short, but I mean, you are a football guy. You are my football person. You are football mm-hmm. everything. But we're going to talk about, you and I are in, a, are in a league together. It's a keeper league. You joined way back in, what, 2018? Yeah, 2018 was my first season in the league. So that means that, and I'll uh, pop up the screen in a moment here. That means that, and let me know if you guys can see it or not. You took over a team back in uh, after the twenty seven after the twenty seven seventeen season concluded. You took over this team right here, and uh, I'm still. I think it shows. I see it now. So if you guys yeah. want to flip yeah, over it's your, up. It's your up. tablets or your phones to get the widescreen going and see, I'll try to make that a little bit bigger. But this is the team that Matt Bushnell. Uh, what do you? Call call it inherited from uh, a, a, a leaving owner a departing owner i should say and uh i don't know matt what are your thoughts when you look at this lineup or, or this team what do you think about it what are your thoughts what's your thoughts when you uh when you realize that this is a team you're taking over pitching wise i thought they were fantastic i was ecstatic to see guys like strasburg kimbrell robbie ray uh garrett cole was still kind of i thought disappointing for his prospect status at that point, but I didn't hate him. Um, Syndergaard, of course, was one of the main guys that I looked at. I was always high on Walker Buehler. Um, Giolito, I just wasn't sold on yet as a prospect. Um, Hearing where he ranked, where they graded his um, secondary pitches, I wasn't a huge believer in that. Um, 
I loved, obviously I'm a huge White Sox fan, so I loved having Abreu, but I just didn't rationalize him as being a staple because I think during that time he was maxing out at about 30 home runs at the most and about a 270 batting average with no plate discipline for walks. Yeah. So, so there wasn't a lot of upside with keeping Abreu. And then obviously um, the guy that I knew for sure I was keeping right away was Manny Machado. It, was this a points or a categories league? It's a head-to-head points league. Okay, gotcha. So who did you end up keeping there, Matt? Yeah, uh, this was – I'm excited for this. Who did you end up keeping, Machado? I kept Machado. I kept Craig Kimbrell, Steven Strasburg, Noah Syndergaard, and Robbie Ray. Because I think Robbie Ray came off a really good season that year. Yeah. There. Yeah, and also uh, – I'll, I got to drop down a little bit. Not that we care about Salvador Perez at this point, but uh, these two guys right here, AJ Puke and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., they're already automatic on his team for the yeah. season. So, um, so yeah, so that's the that's the team that uh, Matt inherited and that he took over and that he took on to the 2018 season, which uh, let me stop sharing the screen while I get that 2018, yeah, 2018 season up and running. But what do you think, Sean? How did uh, Matt do way back in the offseason of 2017 going into the 2018 season? Then? Yeah, when uh, Felipe first sent me his uh, team that he took over back then, I said Manny Machado's probably one of it. I didn't even make the Abreu White Sox connection. I thought if I had made it that you would have picked him. I'm shocked you didn't. Um, Kimbrell was a good one. Ray was a good one because your memory does serve you correct that in 2017 – he was coming off a 15-win season and 28 starts where he posted the lowest ERA of his career at 289. So that was his one and only sub-three ERA season. The subsequent two years, he's been at 393 and 434. Um, the thing with Ray is he's so enticing in a points league because of the amount of people he strikes out. But the walks are just have always killed him. And during spring training this year, there was talk that he had shortened up the arm action, which was allowing him to command it a little bit better. Um, in summer camp, he did look much better. And then his first few games with the Diamondbacks, because he was just traded to the Blue Jays. Um, but he's also missed more in the zone. And he has a career high 2.62 home runs per nine. So he's given up a lot of home runs. The walks are – it's a just an outlandish number. It's over eight walks per nine innings. So, uh, yeah, Robbie Ray, he's not doing himself any favors going in a free agency next year. But he could be a, an enticing candidate, like a buy-low candidate in terms of uh, fantasy and in real life for teams that approach free agency looking for a starter. Now, really quick, I guess we, I forgot to mention that this is a keeper league. Uh, I mean, it's a fantasy points head-to-head keeper league yeah. where, you know, Matt just mentioned the five players that he was keeping into the following season which is different from a dynasty league. I don't, I've, I don't think I've ever done a dynasty league before. No, I, I know for certain I've never done a dynasty league before. Sean, what is the difference between a dynasty league and a keeper league for those who don't know? Well, keeper is based on how your league is set up. You will keep a certain amount of people from year to year, and then everybody else gets put into the draft pool and you draft, just like a normal year, like a normal redraft league, except you can kind of look at it as like, you know, you keep a core, like a, a team in real life builds is, you know, you want to keep that core together as long as possible. But then once maybe a member of that core starts to fall off, maybe you don't keep them your fourth year, but you've kept them the first three. Um, 
Dynasty, I'm actually in a Dynasty League. It's always the one I reference because I think it's like the coolest thing in the world, which is my 30-team with 40-man rosters. And um, I almost made a post in Baseball Life, but I forgot to. And the other day, I was arguing over who was going to be my utility slot because it's a daily lineup as well. It's a very work-intensive. Vince is in it. Andrew's in it as well. Um, But I was arguing over Edward Olivares, Josh Rojas, and Tim LoCastro as my util slot for the day. And I was like, damn, that's how you know you're in a deep league when the three guys that are fighting over your utility slot, most 99% of baseball fans have no clue who they are. Um, I ended up picking wrong. I put Tim LoCastro, who's the the human ball magnet and probably the fastest right-handed batter in baseball. I started him. He went hitless while Edward Olivares, who was a part of that Trevor Rosenthal deal, who we talked about briefly, uh, he ended up having a two-hit game. So it's uh, the dangers of, you know, people that we don't see all that often having to pick amongst them. But Dynasty, you pick – you keep everyone year to year, and the only draft that you have in the offseason is going to be your first-year player draft. So the international free agents and the, the recent draft picks. Up on the screen, thank you for the explanation, Sean. Up on the screen is the what the 2018 season looked like for Matt. And again, it's kind of small, but I want to make sure that all the players show up. Uh, the catcher is Jorge Alfaro, so I guess we can – I mean, he's an afterthought at this point. Uh, but as you can see, you know, instead of Jose Abreu, it's now Paul Goldschmidt. And he went after Juan Mancada. And he went after Tim Anderson. So this is starting to look more like a Matt Bushnell team. Eloy Jimenez, Reynaldo Lopez, a lot of White Sox people. His two minor leaguers are – Luis Robert, Dylan Cease. Um, obviously, Matt had a busy uh, season that year, uh, kind of facelifting what – because he took over for a, a, a Blue Jays fan. You know? Okay. So, so you know, one of, the things that, one of the things that I like about taking over other teams is you get to completely destroy and do whatever you want. And you're free to do – I feel like there's more freedom to do uh, more things with my team than, than if it were like – the one that I drafted. Cause yeah, you do get, you, you kind of get clingy to these players. Matt, will you agree with that assessment that you like decided to just scorch earth and just come do a complete facelift or was it something else in mind going into this 2018 season for you here? I think you nailed it Felipe because granted, I, I thought the team that I took over, it wasn't bad. I thought it was a 500 team. I thought the ceiling was there. I didn't really have my heart set on any of the players. Uh, my probably favorite player was Vladimir Guerrero Jr., but I just saw him as an eventual DH. His body type was something, and I didn't want to have a keeper just set at DH. I feel like that's a position that I can stream for other reasons, but not the, the team, I just wasn't in love with it. You know, I, one of the first moves I made was trade Machado for Goldschmidt. I, I wish I didn't, I don't know how I would really rank that trade, but. During this time, Goldschmidt was stealing bases, um, pretty close to a 400 on base percentage. You know, strikeouts get you negative points in this league. Yep. So I just didn't want to deal with the strikeouts, and I thought Goldschmidt would have been a better option at that point. Yeah, Manny Machado is always someone I've avoided in general, but especially in points league because of the lack of plate discipline. Um, I actually acquired Paul Goldschmidt in a trade with our Baseball Life's own Andrew O'Sullivan, who I'm facing in the playoffs in that dynasty league. I traded him Grandall and pieces for Goldschmidt and pieces because I had Will Smith, who had just made his debut, uh, more on dynasty catching and keeper catching later, um, little hint. But 
I acquired Paul Goldschmidt, and then I kind of started digging into his uh, stats. And last year, he was still hitting the ball hard. And then his, the first week before they had that entire layoff, um, his numbers were – he was hitting, you know, well over 300, still is. But his batted ball data was not – exemplary he was hitting it as soft as he's ever had uh the xba was still high he was sitting a lot of you know kind of softer line drives um and i was trying to sell 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 and then they got hit by uh covid and went down for a week and nobody was going to touch a cardinal and so that kind of froze the market on it but good thing for me because he has like the highest walk rate in all of baseball he's doing a lot of what he's always done and in a points league that's so valuable walks walks in limiting strikeouts and points league it's that's why i always look for the approach over you know like the the great skills granted manny machado's having a great season of his own so um i would rank it as about even i'd give the slight edge to goldschmidt in a points league just because of the increase of walks and what else did you do for uh that that kind of uh, stands out for you matt for this uh, uh 2018 season uh, well, I, I wish I would have kept Whit Merrifield. That was kind of like my last edge keeper for this season at the end of the year. I took a look at it and I was like, man, I would like to keep Whit, but it just, I, I knew my biggest worry was, all right, I didn't have a lot of talent on this team. Like I take a look at some of the names and I'm remembering some of it. I wasn't going to keep Tim. He came back from a bad, you know, his lack of discipline just was not something I wanted to keep investing in. Um, Ronaldo Lopez was one of the bigger names of the White Sox that I thought was really going to break out. I decided not to keep him because it just, I still felt like he was young and developing. I moved Eloy, even though he was still in the minor leagues to a keeper slot, just because I didn't have the talent. And that allowed me to keep Dylan Cease at the time. I think he was the 21st ranked prospect in all of baseball. And then I kept Luis Robert, who I know a lot of people were not super high on Luis Robert, but ever since he signed with the White Sox, I'm like, this is my guy. I'm going to write it out. I'm going to see what he does. And for better or for worse. (laughs) Exactly. Like that, that's my one, like him and Mankata are my two guys that I'm just going to deal with the growing pains. Mankata kind of paid off a little bit last year. But, um, you know, I think I just took a look at this team and I was just like, Luis Urias never panned out. Jameer Candelario, no power. You know, it's it kind of the same type of player. Uh, Zach Britton, when he got traded, he, I had him with the Orioles and he was racking up saves. And then he got traded to the Yankees and then I lost the points for saves, which killed me. Um the, the biggest miss on all of this, and this is the one I regret the most, is Kettle Marte. I oh. wish I would have kept Marte. Yeah. So who did you end up keeping uh, after this season, Matt, if you remember? Oh, geez. Okay, so here's what happened. I made a trade for a first-round pick. I traded my first-round pick for Cody Bellinger during the offseason. Oh. So Bellinger was one of my keepers. Um, Mankata, Eloy, I want to say Corey Seager was on that list of keepers as well, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Then I'm trying to see who else I might have kept. Possibly Goldschmidt. You kept both Goldschmidt and Bellinger? Well, you know, I think I traded Goldschmidt during this year. I can't remember my other keeper off the top of my head, to be honest. All right. That's fine. I mean, it's a long time ago, right? That's bigger. (laughs) That, that maybe uh, it would have uh, rekindled some memories, but yeah, it's hard. It's really hard to keep 
you know, track of all this. But uh, the, the, the two things that kind of stand out was that that you uh, kept both Dylan Cease and Luis Robert and just decided to bring up Eloy Jimenez into your one of your five keeper slots just because uh, you figured that was going to give you the best chance to compete for 2019 or at least give you a, a better chance to improve for 2019. The other well, thing, that, uh, really quick, the other thing that, 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 that happened in this season was uh, Felipe was kind of floundering and had decided that the two guys that he had to have for the rest of his life was Steven Strasburg and Noah Syndergaard, and it just happened that Matt Bushnell had both of those guys. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was a – first of all, I for as talented as Noah Syndergaard was, I hate pitchers that are always getting hurt because that's the one spot. I think with a position player, you know he's playing – you know, pretty much every day. And if he gets hurt, you know, you can bide your time and there's more availability with that. With pitchers, I feel the market is so thin after the draft. If one of your pitchers gets hurt, it can really tank your fantasy team as I'm experiencing this year with Charlie Morton. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And it seems like Sean and I are always like dedicating every other episode just to starting pitching alone because it, they're dropping like flies at this point. And yeah. And the ones that do stay, Sean, uh, uh, chime in if you agree or disagree with me, but the, the few that do stay uh, who are able to um, keep going, they're not pitching, like, productively like before. Like, at this point, if you get four innings out of some of these starting pitchers off waiver wire, that's a victory for you. Unfortunately, you're not getting any any wins. Yeah, uh, it's, so it's it, a weird season. Like, just all across the board. Um, in, the, in the Dynasty League that I spoke of, like, one of my best pitchers – has been a swingman for the Cincinnati Reds, TJ Antone, who is a top fifth. I think he was outside of their top 10 or maybe right at nine or 10, but he was a starting pitcher in the minors and they called him up and they had him make a couple of starts while I think Wade Miley was hurt. Um, but then he's basically been the, the bulk man just what every third or fourth day he'll go and give him, you know, two or three innings. And he's about to make a start against Pittsburgh today. And when I saw on fan tracks the little green green square next to his name of pitching against Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh, I got excited. And like that just this is the season that we're up to now, is we're excited over swingman six starters making a start against Pittsburgh. Like I would have never thought that this would be how fantasy would happen this year. No, it's crazy. But at that uh, but getting back to the twenty eighteen season though. I realized that I needed pitching and I know that Strasburg and Syndergaard have a, like a shaky pass, but you can't like where I was sitting at, you couldn't like the production was too good for me to not go for it. And, 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 and Sean, you'll be happy to know this is me trying to tank it was me acquiring <laughs> both Noah Syndergaard and Steven Strasburg. And, and I ended up with, I think that 2018 season, I ended up like going on a winning streak and playing the role of spoiler. And that was me trying to tank. Because it turned out that everybody else was tanking because they, they, like it was so top heavy that season that like even teams that were like only three games behind uh, first place they decided like midway through the season that they were gonna give up on the season and I'm looking like well okay where does that leave me I'm I'm actually like more games behind and I'm at sub 500 and that's when I realized you know let me do a little research uh, see where I do some like soul searching for this team. And that's when I realized, well, the two guys that I really, really want happen to be with Matt Bushnell. And we did two separate trades. I gave up a first rounder for Steven Strasburg. And uh, I forgot who else I gave. I might have given you Corey Seager as well. I don't remember at this point. But 
No, that was a separate trade. Never mind. So a first rounder for uh, Steven Strasburg. And then later on, I decided, you know what? I would like to have Syndergaard as well. And Bushnell is telling me, I would love to get rid of Syndergaard. <laughs> so we basically did a one-for-one. One. I gave up George Springer for Noah Syndergaard, and the rest is history. Uh, yeah, as I cannot remember the other two keepers uh, that Matt might have kept for the uh, 2019 season. But, uh, it, you know, what? at this point, Matt is, what do you call it? Like I said, giving that team that facelift that it desperately needed to make it into his own image and to his own vision. Uh, so far, that's what – now, the, the thing I always get on Matt is that he's too homeristic on some of these. But, uh, I mean, you can't – argue with the with the results i mean these are some really good players it just happens to be on the white Sox, but these are, are some really good prospects that he kept over for the uh, following season uh matt as i pull up the 2019 yeah the 2019 roster end of season roster what do you remember about 20 about last year's uh, team i just wanted to get as much young talent on the roster as possible i kind of looked at it like almost like similar as a homer to the white Sox rebuild I didn't want to just try to do a one-year kind of fix, and I figured if I got more reliable hitters with more upside as opposed to building around pitching, I'd have a more steady record as opposed to the ups and downs of a starting pitching staff. And um, I know a couple of years ago I tried to build it around closers with Britton, Kimbrell, but closers are just so fluky on year-to-year production depending on the team. So I was just like, all right, let me just tear all of it down. And in 2019, I did have Cody Bellinger, who had, you know, one of the biggest breakout years. I don't want to say it's a breakout year for Bellinger, but, you know, the MVP year that he had. And I, I knew I needed a pitcher to pair with some of my hitting. So that's when I made another trade. It's yeah. so funny that you mentioned that about the relief pitchers, because my dynasty, the 30-team one, that was how I built that team, was um, nobody had really – right as the draft started, no one had really gone and looked at the the scoring. And I think just because of how deep it was to make it a little bit easier for teams that couldn't, because starting pitching in, in a 30 team league is just like basically non-existent. So you could compete if you picked, you know, good, solid everyday relievers that get, you know, into 50, 60 games, they're going to be very valuable to you. And uh, in the, I think third and fourth rounds, I picked uh, Josh Hader and Edwin Diaz. Because both of these guys were coming off in uh, our scoring system. They were averaging like seven to nine points a game, which was huge. And I said, I, these are, I'm going to ride or die with them. And uh, I last year um, got to the playoffs but lost. And I realized that I had not enough starting pitching. Um, and I'm glad I made this decision because I, I still had guys like Syndergaard, Stroman, and a couple other pieces – but I knew I needed more, and Josh Hader was my most valuable commodity. And um, I ended up packaging him to get Zach Wheeler, which I know a lot of to a lot of people doesn't make sense. But in that deal that I acquired Zach Wheeler, I, I acquired uh, Colin Poche from the Rays, who w- looked a lot like Josh Hader in the making. Um, he tore his UCL, so he has Tommy John. But I also had guys like James Karinchak, who's kind of taken over that role of, you know, strikeout elitist. Um, I acquired Josh Stalmont off of waivers. So it was I, – I kind of had to blow it up. But at the same time, I did it in such a way that, hey, Josh Hader, 
I'm not going to have his strikeouts. I'm not going to get his crazy amount of saves and strikeouts, but maybe I can acquire two other relievers that together will do his job. And luckily I was able to, and Zach Wheeler has been great for me so far. And uh, up on the screen is the 2019 uh, end of season roster for Matt Bushnell as uh, at this point, it just looks completely different. Uh, I think all the keepers that he kept at the beginning are long time gone at this point. Even Bellinger is long time gone at this point. Uh, so we'll go ahead and uh, uh, Carson Kelly and Eric Hosmer are null and void at this point. So we'll start with Glavar Torres, who you went after, Yohan Mankata. Uh, what was, uh, what's your thought process going into this 2020 season uh, after 2019, Matt? I figured I was going to be in some trouble because I was reading that Torres was going to be moving to shortstop full time and going into 2020 after 2019, I kind of looked at, it, I was like, all right, I, I know you and I hooked up for another trade and that was for Fernando Tatis Jr. Yep. Uh, I, I just, you know, I, I saw the kid and I was like, I wasn't sure if he was going to be, that type, but I just figured, let me accumulate as much young superstars as I can possibly get, no matter the price. I'll suffer on the dra- uh, uh, with the draft picks. If I lose the draft picks, that's fine, but I wanted to build my team around young guys, so um, I traded Bellinger for Torres, Polanco, and Giolito. I ended up keeping Torres and Giolito. Uh, you know, Torres, 38 home runs last year. I, I I couldn't predict that he was going to be that bad this year. I know some people have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, telling you, him, Strasburg, and uh, Starling Marte are guys that I just avoid. Like Everybody loves in fantasy, but I won't touch him with a 10-foot pole. I think it's just a weird gut feeling. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he looks absolutely awful. He's not hitting for power. Um, he's chasing everything. So the plate discipline is severely lacking. I know people say he's only 23 years old, but I, I remember, I forget who I, who I talked to about stuff like this, but they say like after 1,000 plate appearances, you kind of know what a hitter is going to be. So I, I think we're getting kind of close to Torres's. Maybe the 38 home runs is Torres's ceiling with the 280 batting average, which I think a lot of people would take, but um, his on-base percentage is not good. Um, and he's moving to shortstop full time. So I don't have that multiple, multiple position flexibility with him anymore. And there's no way I'm going to choose him over Tatis Jr. That's just not going to happen, especially after this season. But Mankata, you know, my third baseman, like I said, I was going to ride or die with Mankata for better or for worse. Yeah. I, I, I feel bad for him because of the COVID. Like you can tell he's off this year. He has no lift, no power when he's swinging the bat, but I do like his plate discipline. He's taking more walks, even though he's striking out some more, but um, the crazy stat about Mankata that, you know, you watch enough White Sox broadcast, the announcers always highlight that he has seen more pitches out of the zone than any other player in major league baseball. Yep. So they just do not pitch him in the zone. Well, that's a sign of respect for, uh, I mean, Bryce Harper always, always falls in that category as guys who see very little pitches in the strike zone because yeah, the, the top three this year ha- actually have been Moncada, Harper, and Alonzo. And to a degree, all three of those have struggled. Uh, Harper has gone, you know, like four of his last 40 after a really hot start. So it is very much a sign of respect. And it's kind of, especially in a short season, 
all three of those guys, they know that their team and their lineup is relying on them. Moncada probably a little less so with how well their offense has been doing. Yeah. But in a short season, you would think that the sense of urgency to try and produce and try and help your team is pushing these guys in a way that the way they're being pitched, you can't push yourself that fast. Because if you do, you're just going to get yourself out, which is what we've seen with Pete Alonso. And uh, really quick, I just wanted to also ask you, oh, you're still on the Fuelers Day Off. But, yeah, you, you uh, I had you – I feel like I suggested this name upon you and you went with it, but – you, you renamed your team from Bueller's Day Off because of Walker Bueller, who obviously you did not keep uh, or had any aspirations to keep long-term. You changed it from Bueller's Day Off to TMT Dynamite, which stands for Torres, Mancada, and Tatis uh, Dynamite. Um, I, I guess my question while you were talking about getting young talent, like did it matter, the position? Because I mean, you basically got like all of these infielders, which I mean, that, that's like – I don't know about you, Sean, but that seems to be like a, like a fantasy leaguer's dream is just to have – a like a core competent at one position, either infield, outfield, or, or, or pitching. And, and it looks like Matt was trying to do that. Was that the intent, Matt, or was, or did it, was it regardless of position at this point for you? I, I wanted an offensive shortstop. That was my big thing. You know, defense doesn't matter in fantasy, so I, I don't care if they field or not. But um, offensively, I, I wanted pop from shortstop. I knew Mankato was probably going to max out at about 30 home runs just the way he takes pitches and how he swings. I, I just, I have a hard time seeing him eclipse 30, but he might, but um, I thought Torres would be an annual 30 home run hitter, but I just wanted to get infielders. But to me, Felipe, it didn't matter where the talent was at as long as they had that big upside, like g give me the upside. It just happened to be that it was Mancada, Torres and Tatis in the infield. And then, uh, so we're going into the 2020 season. Uh, you got off to a really good start. And then I think the injuries, uh, well, with everybody, right? Everybody's hurt. Everybody's injured. Everybody's struggling. But I think with you, I think they hit you a lot harder than most other teams. Um, I mean, you mentioned Torres already. You mentioned uh, Mancado already. Uh, Giolito got off to a slow start, but he seems to uh, be picking up a little bit. Um, what what other adjustments have you uh had to make for this 2020 season based on your team right now? The biggest mistake I made was not address right field in the draft sooner. M my right field position is basically no, you know, not to take off your name, but it's been a black hole, you know, and then I got Santamander from Baltimore who was just sitting in free agency. Uh, he's been hot and cold, but I would say right field has been an issue in relief pitching. I mean, I thought Galagos for the Cardinals and that's just been one gigantic headache because I just don't know if they're going to put him in a closing situation. One day he gets a save, the next day he doesn't. So that part's been frustrating. Uh, starting pitching, I had to cut guys. I had to move guys. Charlie Morton was one of the big injuries. Um, you know, Dylan Cease has been a weird pitcher this year for me because <laughs> he gets me the quality starts. He's won, I think, four or five games. So I'm getting the points for the wins, but he is not striking many guys out. I'm not getting the points from the strikeouts, which is, you know, hurts a little bit in this league. Um, I had to pick up Dane Dunning because, like I said, my pitching situation has just been awful with the injuries. Uh, Lamette has also, to me, and I, Sean, I don't know, I'll, I'll defer to you on this. I don't feel like he's living up to that big hype that, 
you know, kind of surround him as a coming up into the big leagues. I mean, obviously, you know, this year he's had the the great start and um, kind of slowed down the last few starts. But when I look at him, I see a lot of what some people see as a negative when they look at Tyler Glasnow. Um, both big guys, uh, Glasnow's a little bit taller, but yeah. Lamette's big as well, that have these crazy power-hard fastballs with great spin. They can spin it high in the zone. Um but in all essences, they're two-pitch pitchers, which I'm just pulling up uh, Lamette's Savant page right now, and I didn't even realize this, that he's throwing his slider 51, 50, actually 52% of the time. Yep. Um, and then he's throwing the four-seamer uh, 34%, and then a sinker 15%. So he is literally a two-pitch pitcher. He's a fastball, four-seam sinker, variant, whatever you want to call it, and then a slider. Meanwhile, Glasnow is more of fastball, curveball. Um, which leads me to believe that he's probably going to have some split issues. Um, he hasn't this year so far. Um, he has had a, a very good year, um, crazy good whiff rates and everything like that. But um, I, it's, it's hard to see a – unless he develops a third pitch. Um, it's funny that you mentioned Dane Dunning. I actually picked him up. I sh- I'm streaming him in the Baseball Life League playoffs right now. Um, he didn't give me exactly what I wanted. He only gave me four and two thirds. Uh, didn't stay in long enough for the win, but he didn't kill me either. Um, Dylan Cease is the one I really want to talk about because he has been, you know, the last three years, he strikes out a lot of guys, but the the command's crazy. He, he gives up a lot of hard contact. But this year, he's somehow skated around it. He has a 3.29 ERA, which on the surface is great. Um, According to Baseball Savant's expected ERA, he should have an ERA of 6.12. Yep, that's about right. And it's just amazing how he's just dancing around it. He's still walking guys. Um, He has 20 walks to only 28 strikeouts. Um I don't know how he's doing it. He has a 1.3 whip. It's just one of those he's playing with fire, and sooner or later he's going to get burned. But at the same time, I I still do really love Dylan Cease. Um, looking at his, his pitch charts, though, are just – the curveball, which I think is to me is his best pitch, I like it more than the slider. His curveball, it seems like he has no command over it. I mean, there's look, – just looking at it right now, it's like there's some that are way up here – into a right-hander by their head, and it goes all the way down, just scattered like a shotgun pellets, all the way down. And if he can just learn to command his pitches a little bit better, he has the stuff to be an elite strikeout guy. But if you can't command it, then you're not going to last very long. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. I, I was going to talk about Lamette. If anything, he could he makes for a very good relief pitcher one of these days. But, I mean, I've always liked Lamette because of the upside – but I'm kind of shocked that he's at 51% on his slider. I mean, he's just he's coming he's coming off of Tommy John surgery. Uh, I, I always I think we talked about this, Sean. That I don't I don't remember what what the conclusion was, but like all of these starting pitchers are being told just throw your best pitch out there. Is is your best yeah. pitch the curveball, the breaking pitch? Just throw it out there. Just just do it. Don't, don't even think about it. Just just toss it. And that we think about guys like Patrick Corbin and and um, Rich Hill. Them those guys who. Uh, are primarily uh, breaking ball pitchers as starters, which a few years ago that was like that was bonkers. Like, if you're if you're going to be throwing that pitch uh, for a high amount of times, either you, you're you're 
you're on your way to getting Tommy John surgery or you're on your way to the bullpen, as you can ask Sergio Romo how that's worked out for him as well. Yeah. So it's kind of weird that, it, that, that it's still weird to me that that mentality has actually crept its way into starting pitching. And that's where Matt has kind of uh, – I mean, he has some guys with good stuff, like you mentioned, but they need – I mean – they need to get to these guys' level right here, the Giolitos and the Sunny Grays of the world. Um, well, yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned Giolito because Giolito's a two-pitch pitcher, essentially, a fastball changeup. I mean, I think he throws his changeup, I think, 40-something percent of the time. I mean, then he throws a fastball. He can throw the slider, but he doesn't, you know, throw the slider nearly as much as his other pitches. But yeah. I just look at that, and I'm like, man, to have 75 strikeouts with mostly fastball changeup – and they talk about it all the time with him. It's all about where he's coming at with the plane, where he releases his fastball and his changeup. It's the exact same place. And when his, when he's not going off that same plane, that's when he gets rocked. But if he's got that same plane, that's how we know hit the Pirates. <laughs> and it was also because it was the Pirates. It was also the Pirates, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, those same Pirates did um, – I think the next series they beat the Cubs – Hey, uh, look, look at him go. But you are right. He he throws his fastball 50%, change up 35%. It's not the full Luis Castillo, um, but then he has the slider that he essentially, it only appears he throws to right-handed batters, you know, down and away. Uh, but I can stand uh, someone who has, you know, really just the two dominant pitches or really the two pitches, as long as it's a, a fastball in a changeup or a fastball and a curveball, I feel like that works better to both sides. When I see someone like Lamette who only throws a fastball and a slider, there are very few pitchers who can throw that slider consistently down and into a lefty, you know, back footed on them because too many times they miss when they, when a righty's throwing a slider to a lefty and it just turns into as the SNY broadcast and Keith Hernandez, it turns into a cement mixer. Just sits there and rolls, rolls, spin, and boom, it, it goes 350 feet. Um, it, it's very dangerous if you can do it. It's a, a, a dastardly pitch. Max Scherzer's made a, an entire career out of it, Chris Sale as well. Um, but it's one of those very high wire. Um, Giolito does have the great changeup, and it's great to see that he's throwing it more than ever. I mean, he has a 40% whiff on it basically his entire career. Um, and looking at the pitch charts, like you said, he does seem to – both of those pitches start off in the same area. The fastball stays true and stays up while the changeup drops. I mean, it all, most of his changeups are actually right at the bottom of the zone, right where they fall out. Meanwhile, a lot of his fastballs are right at the top of the zone or even right above it. So that is a effective combo to both right-handers and left-handers, and which is why we've seen more success from him the last two years. Um, I lost my train of thought. It's very interesting. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Uh, with the change-ups, like you mentioned, Max Scherzer, Chris Sale, changes are more traditionally for starting pitchers, I mean, at least yeah. from in my mind. So I'm not surprised that if, if they're being told to throw that sucker more often than not, it's fine. It's the breaking pitches that still get to me. I'm like, okay, so we're not worried about Tommy John surgery anymore. That's the only thing. But uh, it's an interesting approach. I, I like it. It's just me adjusting to that mentality. Um but we're talking about pitchers. Let's move to your hitters really quick. Uh, really quick. Mackenzie Gore is your new Dylan Cease at this point going into the future, I'm assuming, right? Before we move on, can I, can I uh, steal the screen share for oh. just one moment? Go ahead, man. So uh, you, you mentioned the um, 
Change-ups are mainly for starters. I, I want to just highlight a reliever that not many people are talking about. No, it's not James Karinchak. Um, but the guy that's living in Josh Hader's shadow right now, and he is getting doing it by sharing or uh, by throwing his uh, change-up 52% of the time and just look at those sliders. There's 100th or 99th percentile in just about everything. His name's Devin Williams. Yeah. He's been a pitching ninja darling. He's not a stat cast darling. He has been all over pitching ninja. Um, then you come down here to his whiff rate. A 62% whiff rate <laughs> on his changeup. He has not allowed one hit on it, and he's thrown 151 of them. I, I just wanted to bring that up since you had uh, mentioned that it's tr- it is traditionally a starting pitcher's I mean, yeah. pitch, yeah. but um, they're starting to be you know these change up you know heavy relievers especially uh, he, he throws ninety six averages ninety six that's pretty high but when you compare a high fastball with a changeup that even doesn't drop out of the zone um, it's just it's a it's a deadly combo okay I'll give it back to you. Felipe, you there? I don't see Felipe's camera. May have lost him there, Sean. But let me ask you, with the velocity being as high as it is now, as high as it's ever been in Major League Baseball, shouldn't more pitchers develop that changeup because of where the release point's at and the difference in speed? I think a lot of it is some pitchers, and this is something that – the Mets have been very fortunate to have over the years is the Mets have been known as, you know, these hard throwing, you know, they had the DeGrom, Syndergaard's, Wheelers, uh, Harvey at his point, all these guys that threw touch 99 relatively easy. Um, but a lot of these guys actually picked up uh, Jacob DeGrom specifically picked up his changeup. Uh, he throws it completely different, but it's the same circle change that uh, Santana threw and they'd actually cross paths very early on in his career. And that was where he picked up the changeup. And he throws his, unlike Santana, he throws his at, you know, 91, 92 miles an hour. He throws it as hard as possible. But it is such a good pitch that you would think at least older pitchers or pitchers that don't have the elite velocity that we see now. You know, it seems like you said so many people throw 97 that maybe if somebody is only throwing, you know, 93, 94, maybe they really should look into developing a changeup. It's just one of those – from Ron Ron Darling talking and, you know, just John Smoltz, they all, whenever I hear him talk about change-ups, it's getting, you know, you want to throw it like your fastball. That's the whole idea. You want to trick the hitter into thinking the fastball's coming. And some of them, they intentionally slow down. They don't, they don't realize it, but they slow down their motion because they're trying to throw it slower. And in doing so, they tip it off. And when you tip off a change-up, it's, uh, it's turkey season. I mean, it's just – Everything gets shot. It gets hit hard. So it's one of those, it seems very hard to perfect because uh, there's not, I mean, it's not no spin really. It's just a change of pace. You're trying to disrupt the timing rather than make them swing and miss at something they think is going to be someplace else. It's, um, I think it's harder than what people realize, but if you can, it is a, probably the most effective pitch and one of my favorite pitches in baseball yeah unfortunately that's not that's just not being taught at the youth levels it's, yeah. it's fast faster fastest as one of my friends have told me before is that that's his that's how his little brother was being taught and he tried throwing a a, a change up you know that he was in practicing and he got pulled from the game by the coach 
if you got yelled <laughs> at for doing that. So it, it, it starts at the, it, well, it doesn't start at the youth level. And that's the problem. By the time you get to the major leagues, the, the minor leagues, they're not, they're, they'll, they'll try to develop you. But yeah, try practicing a changeup in the minor leagues while you're trying to move up to the major leagues. Yeah. How, how's that going to work for you? And then once you get to the major leagues, as uh, Dirk Hager's put in his book, they're not teaching you jack shit over there. No way. Like, you either know it or you don't. <laughs> and that's, uh, uh, you know, we talked about Lucas Giolito. I think I saw a, a report that su- suggested that he had to learn the changeup on his own or uh, outside of the, of the team, which is alarming, but it seems like it's a common thing to do. But yep. you look at teams like, I'm afraid to say, like the Houston Astros or, or or these other technologically advanced teams. So take that with a grain of salt if you like or not. But, you know, they, they, they invested in the technology, the cameras, and, and the development to tell their pitchers, hey, uh, you might want to do this with your release point. You might want to do that uh, with your angle. You might want to do this with your pitching slot. So it's pretty interesting, the art of pitching. Um, even in, a, in, a, in an era where velocity matters more than ever, we're now starting to see, like, if you do have this uh, these secondary and tertiary pitches, have you considered making them your primary pitches? Yeah. So we're we're in for a brave new world at this point. And yeah, because I want to say I remember when Giolito came up, it was um, the velocity kind of dropped off from what a lot of scouts had seen in the minors. But his big secondary pitch was the curveball. You know, he had the big kind mm-hmm. of over the top twelve to six motion, and it had some early success. Uh, the changeup was essentially non-existent. He was only throwing it 10% of the time, but it was still getting elite results. This is going back to 2016 with his cup of coffee in Washington. And it's always been a good pitch. And it's one of those uh, Blake Taylor, who the Mets traded to the Houston Astros for Jake Marisnik in the offseason. Uh, he, he did an interview uh, that I saw on Twitter. And he said that when he was traded, his first day when he came in, it wasn't to go practice and throw a bullpen. They had already put together a PowerPoint and with highlights of his minor league career, his uh, um, Arizona Fall League uh, appearances, and they basically broke it down for him. Hey, this is your best pitch in this situation. This is how you should utilize this in this situation. And he's had, you know, pretty good success early on into his major league career. And he said it was something that he had never seen before in the Mets. At least he said that the information was there, but he said that it would have never just sat him down and put together an entire PowerPoint presentation on a guy who's viewed as a middle relief pitcher at best. And um, they basically told him, Hey, this is your best pitch. We want you to throw this and and this count. And we want you to throw this and this count. So just kind of piggybacking off of the, the Houston Astros thing. Um, It's, I think it's all about finding what your best pitch is. And that's yeah. kind of the trend is find the best pitch and then throw it the majority of the time, no matter what it is. Fastball, changeup, curveball, slider, throw your best pitch more and more and more. And I missed the – who was the Mets pitcher you were talking about? I'm sorry. Blake Taylor. He's oh, a uh, yeah left-handed pitcher. Um, really was kind of middling prospect, uh, was viewed purely as relief. Uh, but then he had a great Arizona Fall League, and yeah. it kind of perked up some ears. And uh, he was uh, facing a 40-man roster crunch. He had just been added to it. But um, they traded him for Marisnik. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, it's like we talk constantly on, on, on the baseball group, right? You guys, it's like, ah, these nerds are taking over baseball. They're ruining the game. Like, they, no, <laughs> this is it. Like, <laughs> This is what the teams they, are doing. <laughs> this is all, every single team. Ah, just a bunch of basement nerds doing this bullshit. No, it's Major League Baseball's doing this. They're, they're, they're investing heavily in this technology and 
and then these uh, um, analytics to, for this reason, this is the results. The results are, well, Lucas Giolito is a bad example, but it, the results are Lucas Giolito throwing more of his, his changeup. The results are Denelson Lamette throwing more of his slider. So uh, really quick, uh, uh, Bush, no, uh, Mackenzie Gore, that's your new Dylan Cease coming into next season, obviously. Let's move on to your hitters as uh, Robert graduated, and now you inserted Andrew Vaughn um, into your minor league slot. He's automatically going to your team next season. What do you expect for Andrew Vaughn next season? Is he still going to be in the minors, or will he move out to the White Sox uh, eventually next season? What do you think? I, I think with Edwin and Canarsian being so bad, um, just – you can't hit 170, and with I, now he has like seven home runs. But I mean, it's really just been a three outcome hitter: strikeout, walk, or home run. And I mean, typically that's not bad, but he's not hitting enough home runs at this point to justify keeping him. And he gets older, so I think Vaughn. I, I think they keep him down for service time, but I definitely think he's a late April, mid-May call up for them. And I mean. Honestly, I've asked questions about this, and I know I talked to Sean about it as well. I would expect a 280, um, a high OBP around 360 his rookie year. I mean, I absolutely love where Andrew yeah. Vaughn profiles at as a hitter. So, you know, it's just it, it provides another crunch for me to figure out who I'm going to keep, who, I'm, who do I need to get rid of. So that's been kind of like the revolving door around my team this year is kind of looking at – this last month as a tryout period. If, if you want, you know, TMT Dynamite to keep you, you better show up. <laughs> it sucks for you. If, you. if you don't keep Taurus for next year, that name is going to be kind of obsolete, huh? Going to have to find a new one. You know, I'll just add a guy with a T somewhere in the draft. You know, just, you Tommy. Know. Tommy Lestella. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But – you know, I just look at where this team aligns. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious to know who's getting kept and who's going to be going. And kind of what you alluded to, Felipe, it's just Eloy, and this is the question I have for you guys as well. I think the bat profiles is 40-plus home runs. Mm. I mean, he'll probably, you know, flirt with 300 most years. But I, I just look at a left field bat that can hit with that kind of production, I hate the strikeouts, but I can live with them. I, I just think that he's a guy that has to be kept, but I'm not sure. In a, in a points league, I'd probably lean towards no. Um, in a if it was a categories, I'd probably keep him. Uh, I could be dead wrong there. A lot of what I see with him is the player who you just mentioned that's blocking Andrew Vaughn. I kind of see an Edwin Encarnacion type development, except with more strikeouts. Encarnacion, when he was at his best, never – I mean, he wasn't striking out even 100 times in a season, which I thought was the amazing thing with him and something I, I didn't really realize until we were just talking about him a few minutes ago was that his strikeouts were never that high. And um, But in terms of the average and the power, I think, I think Eloy is a higher average hitter than we're giving him credit for. I, I think he is. I think he's closer to the, the 275 than a, a 250 or 260. Um, but the, the strikeouts, I think, are they're just part of the game now. And the younger players that do come up, um, it's not like they're going to – of course, they don't want to strike out. And I think they're hard on them, harder on themselves than we think. But it's not like players were 
you know, back in the day when if they struck out three times in a game, they were just, you know, obviously it's, if it happens now, it's okay. I'll go hit two home runs tomorrow. It's not, I'm not going to strike out three times again tomorrow. It's I'm going to make up for my strikeouts rather than I'm going to avoid strikeouts. I think that's the philosophy. I was going to say, look at Matt Chapman. He struck out five times last night. (laughs) God. (laughs) No one's going to accuse Matt Chapman of being awful at this point, right? No, no. (laughs) Well, I I said, I'll I'll take a Matt Chapman that strikes out 30% of the time on the Mets any day. I I don't know why. It's just when he he does hit the ball hard, he crushes it. And then with that gold glove defense, he is like the one guy on another team that I want the Mets to get so bad. (laughs) Nolan Arenado? No, God, no. Stay away. <laughs> me and me and uh, Henry there, we're in solidarity on that. We are on the we don't want Nolan Arenado on our teams. <laughs> Granted, in the Little League ballpark Yankee Stadium, I'm sure he'd still hit 40 home runs. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then Henry would become a big fan of his for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, really quick, looking going back to Matt's team, I think the problem is that with Eloy Jimenez, he might be on the outside looking in at this point as one of your five keepers for next season. Because, I mean, at this point, how do you not go with Luis Robert as your outfield keeper if if the goal is to also do Torres, Moncada, and Tatis? Although Torres, I know you mentioned, he's going to be shortstop eligible only next season. So uh, you got you got quite the problem here. Um, and then you still got to realize who do you want to keep at your pitching uh, positions because you have a couple of guys who might look good for next season as well. It's a, you know what what it is Bushnell. It, it's a hell of a it's a nice problem to have is what you have here. My only thing is I think it's a little bit too White Sox centric. That's something I was taught a long time ago. You don't want to just put your eggs in one basket, especially if you if if that basket happens to be your favorite team. That would be my only critique. But I mean it's hard to argue about the talent level that's potentially there. But it, it's it's a really nice problem to have. Um, I was actually expecting big things for you this season, uh, and like I said, you got off to a really good start. And then I think everything just went to hell. I mean, Charlie Morton getting injured did, and not pitching up to his uh, to his level of success in the years past really hurt you from having a contending team this season. Um, but looking into next season, I think uh, that's a nice little problem to have for uh, next year um, is trying to figure out which of these young 20-somethings uh, do you want for 2021. Yeah, I, I think when I look at this team for 2021, uh, obviously I'm going to have the luxury of keeping Vaughn in my minor league slot. So th- that's an issue I'm not going to have to worry about. It's not going to be that Eloy situation where, you know, I don't have enough talent, so I'm just going to put Eloy in as a reserve keeper. So from where my team started when I took over to where it is now, I – I didn't look at the team and like, man, I got to keep this guy. I got to keep this guy. I got to keep this guy. You know, I looked at it as like, okay, I need to acquire young talent. And now I feel like I'm there, but I think like you said, Felipe, and the way this season started with COVID and just guys missing time and pitchers not being able to ramp up and, you know, they weren't ready to go six or seven innings to start the year. So that really set guys back. And then the, Mitch Garver's been probably my biggest disappointment this season because I I knew as a catcher is, you know, maybe 40 games this year, if I'm lucky, Mitch Garver's been absolute garbage. Yeah. Even when he did play, he didn't hit. Yeah. It's been brutal. It's been brutal for sure. All right. Um, 
you know, I, I didn't realize that we were uh, getting close to the end here. Uh, I'm already hearing the baby crying upstairs. Uh, let's <laughs> call it, let's not call it early, but let's, let's finish up with this, uh, Sean, if you don't mind. And then we'll do, I didn't realize, yeah, this is an interesting conversation with Matt Bush. We were only supposed to have him 30 minutes max. He's been with us for the full hour. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk about uh, what, I mean, I know we're talking about Matt Bushnell's team, but I'm hoping that the result is that other people can relate to it and it extrapolates into something much bigger that everybody at this point of the season in keeper leagues can relate to. And with that being said, Sean, it's September. Uh, at this point, you're either in it or you're not. Um, and, and, and in our case, there are no playoffs, so we're just uh, accumulating points and trying to better ourselves uh, for this upcoming season. What is the number, uh, you know, number one uh, advice you can give to fantasy owners in keeper leagues at this point of the season at this uh, right now? Trust your gut on who you're going to keep. Don't Once you make that selection, don't try and flip back and forth. Don't trade them. Because um, even like right now, I'm looking at the baseball life, which is going to be a keeper league, and we're only keeping three, correct? We're keeping three, and, but we're keeping all of our minor leaguers as well. Yeah, and all of our minor leaguers. Five. And when this season started, I basically had set in my mind that Jose Ramirez, uh, Cattell Marte were going to be two of my three keepers. And the third one was still really up for grabs. You know, Springer was an option, but I realized that this is his contract year and, you know, he's going into his age 31 season. And I'm kind of forcing myself into thinking that I should keep Kyle Tucker because Kyle Tucker has been a monster. And I just, I don't think I'll get him in the draft next year. I mean, he's given me seven home runs, five stolen bases. The only thing that worries me is if I do that is I'm not keeping a pitcher. And if I'm not keeping a pitcher, I'm like really worried. Um, So it's once you've made those decisions, you know, stand fast at them. And this might be a thing of uh, do as I say, not as I do, because who knows? I I might not even uh, keep – Cattell Marte or Kyle Tucker or, or Jose Ramirez, who has 250 header and, you know, but he's giving me nine stolen bases and seven, um, yeah, nine home runs and nine stolen bases. So it's like, what more? Oh, Trevor Story. I forgot about Trevor Story. He was specifically oh, yeah, a keeper. Yeah, and it's like I, I have all these slot people that I want to keep, but I have no clue who I'm going to keep. So maybe uh, it's my, like Kyle Tucker over Cattell Marte. Who knows? <laughs> my advice would be uh, – at this point of the season, September, if you're in a keeper league and depending on how many uh, players you get to keep for next season, I, I would start just dumping your veterans because, you know, trades are, are over. You, you can't make trades at this point. Uh, like a, like Bushnell has Brian Goodwin. We all know he sucks. Come on. Brian Goodwin, just whatever. He sucked for the game. I mean, he's a nice player. But he's not going to put you over the top. I mean, if that were the case, the Nationals would have kept him a long time ago, but they didn't. Start dumping your. Uh, at some point, you got to dump these veteran players and just start looking for. Just start grabbing a shovel and look for high upside guys for next year. A good example was me last year uh, when it looked like uh, I was going to get eliminated from the playoffs. So I said, "Well, if since you know our league has those stupid rules where no one is allowed to go into the waiver wire to pick up players if you're not in the playoffs." Well, I took advantage of that. Well, I'm still technically in the playoffs. I have a third place game to play for. I'm going to pick up Kyle Lewis. I didn't keep Kyle Lewis, but I like to have options coming into off seasons. So 
that's what I'm talking. Start looking for guys with high upside, guys who uh, were highly touted but did not get that chance earlier this year to show what they were made of, but will are getting uh, more of an opportunity in September. Uh, another good example, if you have him out there, Davey Garcia. Um, yep. just, just an example. I mean, he's probably gone because Yankee bias is real. But if he's still there and you're going nowhere this season, just drop Rich Hill and pick up Davey Garcia. I mean, you got nothing to lose. You're just getting a potential prospect for next season at that point. Uh, Matt, we'll finish with you. Strategy going into September. Just have fun with it at this point. Um, either you're in it or you're not. And, you know, if you're one of those French teams, <laughs> um, you know, at the end of the day, like you said, I agree. Just pick up young talent, especially if you're out of it. And don't tell people who you plan on keeping or what you plan on doing. You know, um, I watch a lot of this show and I'm amazed that when you guys bring up suggestions that your league doesn't watch, it's like you guys are giving them the textbook of what you're looking at <laughs> and they ignore it. And it's just like one of those things like me, I'm going to hold my cards tight to the vest. The only person I do talk about fantasy moves is Felipe. And it's kind of like the cardinal rule. Like I shouldn't be telling Felipe what I'm going to do, but you, you have know, to tell somebody. <laughs> exactly. And, and plus, you know, Felipe gives sound advice too. And Sean, I've taken your advice on this podcast as well. And I saw some guys I wanted that I tried picking up. So, you know, l listen to people you trust. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I talk to Mario all the time. Um, I talk to Sean about this league all the time. And then, you know, if, if, if uh, Mario wasn't in our Baseball Life League, I'd be, I'd be talking to Mario about the Baseball Life League, but I don't because he's a rival. <laughs> so but for this Mar this Super League that, that, that I've been a part of since 2002, oh, yeah, Sean, I need help. I don't know if I should keep Reese Hoskins or many. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how many messages I got last year, especially about, like, his Fernando Tatis trade. I remember that. That was like, and I was the one. I feel so bad because I I wasn't buying into Fernando Tatis last year, and I said, "Yeah, go for it. That's a great deal." And you know, <laughs> look what happened this year with Fernando Tatis, making me eat all of the crow. Well, I, I was uh, no, well, I was um, I was competing last year, and I I was so happy to get Tatis, but then he had a back problem, and he was out for the year. And I need healthy bodies, man. I'm in the playoffs. I'm, I'm gonna win this championship this year, and then uh. I, Nobody wanted to tease except for Matt Bushnell. And that's, it. And that's the one advantage that, or disadvantage is that we talk so much that he'll sneak in a trade. Hey, uh, are you still looking to trade Fernando Tatis? I noticed that on your block. <laughs> you know, we could be talking about all sorts of like the weather, right? And then, oh, but, but what's what about Fernando Tatis? Why are you looking to trade him? <laughs> uh, well, he has a back problem. You want him? Uh, yeah, uh, let me work on something. Next thing you know, I, I get a I get a trade proposal from him, and we, you know we go back and forth, but something got done, and 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 that's one of the advantages of having one of your best friends to be in your league is that these trades, you know, if you talk to somebody like that, especially for me, because I hate making trades. I think Sean, we talked about it uh, way back in March with Mario. I hate making trades. I think you don't like making trades. I prepare all off season so I don't have to make these goddamn trades. So <laughs> yeah, and then but. Matt's right there. I talk to him every single day, and it just it just casually goes back and forth. And before you know it, uh, there's another trade proposal that just went into the into the work, and there's another trade that got made. So it's pretty interesting how that happens. But yeah, trust people that you um, seek advice from. Um, watch our show because, like I said, we tell you who we're gonna do, 
And I, it just amazes me that I'm in three different leagues and nobody has gotten to the point like, yeah, I'm leaking all my secrets to you guys. I mean, th- this this guy stabbed Take me in the back. This is the what other this forum is for. I know we're not the only ones who play fantasy baseball. Felipe stabbed me in the back when we were talking about Josh Stalmont. How, how I said you stabbed me in the back when we were talking about how high I was on Josh Stalmont, and you said you waited what ten minutes after the show ended, and five. then you went and picked him up. <laughs> five minutes. Not even. Well, I'm waiting. I'm like, well, is he going to do it or not? <laughs> and we're, Sean and I are talking to each other after the show, and I'm thinking, are you going to do it or not? All right. Well, I'm just going to do it then. So, you know, well, it's, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, my only issue with Josh Stallman, and I mean, I got to watch him the past, well, two out of the past three games, is Mike Matheny is an idiot. <laughs> I hate watching him manage relief pitchers. I, I'm glad he manages the Royals, but why Stallman's not in there in the eighth, ninth inning closing out games is beyond my comprehension. Yeah, and uh, Greg Holland is the guy, and I just saw him, he, get, he got picked up like moments ago before the show started, and I'm like, no, I don't think so. Not for me. Like, you couldn't pay me enough money to pick up Greg Holland at this point. No way. Not in a keeper league, at least. So, uh, yeah. Sean, I mean, sound fantasy advice. Greg Holland, thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumb. Can I cut off my thumb? <laughs> well, the... <laughs> How about we just get rid of the thumb? <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, did he get picked up in the Baseball Life League? No, in, in, in this league, that uh, man guy ran. He just got picked up by I mean, a if, if you're desperate for saves and that's who the manager's riding with, then maybe, but I'm not expecting anything good from him. I'm expecting a the save here and there. But yeah. Yeah. He's actually um, he's got a one point one five whip, which isn't terrible. There was who was the other there was another relief pitcher, I think it was Ian Kennedy, who was their big time save guy last year. He's just terrible. Yeah, after Yasmani hit that yeah, bomb off good. of him, he uh, strained his calf muscle, so he's done. Yeah. And, and that's the thing with all the soft tissue injuries this year, whether to position players or pitchers, it's like you get one of them and you're missing half the season. So, <laughs> But I was looking at how bad he was in my points dynasty league. Even though he had like 30-something saves, he averaged less points per game than like Amir Garrett, who I had. Like it was just like the wildest thing. Amir Garrett's gonna ride me to that fantasy, uh, that baseball life fantasy championship this year. Amir Garrett, you heard it here first. Ag, ag. All right, gang. Well, it's been a pleasure. It's been fun, Matt. Thank you for coming on and uh, sharing your football wisdom, even though it was a little minute. Uh, tell them when the when, tell the people when they can uh, hear your podcast over at Football Life. Every Tuesday at seven p.m. Eastern Standard Did I break Time. Up again? No, I, I can hear you. Yeah, so fo- Football Life Presents the Audible will always be on Tuesday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time. Um, we are doing a Football Life Fantasy League. We're trying to get more people to, into it. Right now we have 19 people. We would like to do two 10-team leagues. I would prefer two 12-team leagues, but, you know, people are not. Vote vote in football life, but if you want to go against Rand, one league Randy Hammond's running, the other league I'm running, um, bragging rights, you can always make me look stupid if that's your so-called desire. It might <laughs> not happen, but I promise you I will not draft the Bears quarterback. That's but, a lie. That is a lie. <laughs> 
That is such a lie. You'll you'll get Foles and, and Trubisky, and you'll get Josh Rosen too when the Bears pick him up. Uh, Sean, this is what I'm talking about, though, Sean. Every time he talks, I'm I'm this close to joining against my will and against my family's uh, best interest. But no, I gotta. Well, you never beat me anyway, so. Oh, I beat you all the time. Get the fuck out of here. I beat you all the time. I'll join if you join, Felipe. Oh. <laughs> Oh, wow. There you go. Put the screws to him right there. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it off the air. Guys, it's been fun. Thank you so much for joining me on a Sunday morning, and uh, hope everybody enjoys the rest of the, your baseball day today. Have a good one, everybody.